0: Hey, got a quick question for you. How old are you going to be when you pay your house off? If you listen to this show very much, you know I'm obsessed with time. I'm also obsessed with age and how old people are. It's almost a meme at this point about how many times I've joked about how old AJ Styles is. But the reality is this. We can help you get out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments That Save with Conrad. And that might not be something you're thinking about right now. But check this testimonial out comes to us from Joseph in Houston, Texas. He says, I drive for work, so I have no time to be on the phone. The majority of communication came via text. No rush. I got back to Derek when I could on my time. You guys cut down my payoff date by eight years, even adding money to the loan and still making the payoff date eight years earlier. So what we're talking about is if you've got credit card debt, when's the best time to pay it off? Today. Savewithconrad.com can help, but more importantly cutting eight years off of your loan. I want you to ask yourself this question. How old am I when I pay my house off? It's kind of weird that we don't know the answer to that right off the top of our head. We hear people all the time say things like, Oh, I've got six car payments left. How many house payments do you have left, bro? How old are you going to be and how old are your kids going to be? What we're talking about is paying your house off before your kids go to college. We're talking about paying your house off before you plan to retire. Nobody wants to retire and hope that they can still make a house payment. Retire your debt and then retire. Retire your debt and then help your kids with college tuition so they can avoid student loans. And if you've got student loans, you know you don't want to burden your kids with those. Let me help. Let me show you how to get out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments and the greatest tax deduction possible at SaveWithConrad.com. Now, as always, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. So find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention we're licensed in more than 40 states? What are you waiting for? Find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Get ready to get into the fire. NWA power, the studio wrestling show that exploded onto our screens is back for a fourth season. Now it's exclusively on fight TV. And if you listen to this show, the chances are, you may feel like a lot of pro wrestling that's available today, maybe a little too sports entertainment and you may crave some good old fashioned wrestling. We may find that NWA power hits those notes, no scripts, no skits old-schooled interviews at the famous NWA podium with some of the best talkers in the game today and hard-hitting action from seasoned professionals. But perhaps best of all, it's one hour. You ain't gotta carve out hours and hours to keep up with the action. See the NWA world's champion Nick Aldis, Thunder Rosa, the television champ, the Pope, Elijah Burke, That salty redneck, Trevor Murdoch, Tom Latimer, Camille, Molina, Tim storm, as well as all the new faces this season, like the legendary Austin Idol, Chris Adonis, Kratos, and Terrence Terrell, plus so many more from the GPB studios in Atlanta, Georgia, just about a block away from the site of the old Georgia championship wrestling back in the day. The NWA package on fight TV is just $4.99 a month. That works out to just over a dollar an episode. Plus, when you subscribe to the NWA on Fight, you also get access to all the previous seasons of NWA Power, as well as Into the Fire and Hard Times pay-per-view events. Don't complain that there's no wrestling like there used to be. There is. It's NWA Power. That's available right now. Go to Fight.tv and subscribe to the NWA and feel the
1: power.
0: Come on, man, this is fun stuff. Fight.tv, check it out. NWA Power is back for a fourth season. Howdy folks, Double J here. That's right, that's J-E-double... No, folks, you know all that. Hey guys, Jeff Jarrett here, and I just finished recording the very first episode of My World with Jeff Jarrett. You know, Conrad, he may be regretting right now uh, bringing me on board, because I don't think he likes some of the things I said, but guess what? You can hear it early and ad-free on adfreeshows.com, or this Tuesday, May 4th, it drops. You know, what a rollercoaster of a ride it was. The night Jeff Jarrett held up Vince McMahon. Come on, guys. Does that even make sense? Anyhow, here the entire, complete, nothing but the truth, the whole truth. So help me God. Tune in this Tuesday. My World with Jeff Jarrett. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Dark Side of the Podcast. And of course, we couldn't do it without the creators of this fantastic series, Evan and Jason. Jason, how are you, man? I'm good. How you doing? Man, better than I deserve. Excited to be here. And Evan, I don't know if you saw the feedback I did last night, but it seems like people love the Brian Pillman episode. Yeah, yeah. It was awesome to see. Awesome to see. Can't believe we're
2: back. Season three. It's kind of wild that here we are again. A whole year later you know world is a little bit different um man it was awesome to see
0: the feedback yeah really really cool really really good feedback
1: yeah i was watching too last night just watching the twitter feed as i was watching the episode and yeah it was so cool to see like people hearing comments saying you know this is this is one of the best episodes they've done you know that this is uh (laughs) it's it's gotten even better and so for us that's a big relief you know having to make the show during the time period in which we were in and you know we're so happy that um we've been able to make a show that still lives up to um our previous seasons um because it's really important for us that the show just it all you know all the episodes together just feel unified and you know that passion is equally going into every one of them
2: Yeah. And it's just like, you know, the second season, you know, did very well. And, you know, you got to live up to that. There's the pressure of, you know, you got to maintain that, you know, that like Jason was saying, that sense of quality, you know, but for us, it's like we went into we went into season three kind of with a lot of question marks because of the pandemic, obviously. And, you know, we wanted to make sure that you know, safety was number one in terms of going into the field, you know, shooting this show under those circumstances. And of course, the reenactments on with actors and everything. There's a lot of procedures and things we had to follow. But it was really important that we really needed to maintain the safety, but at the same time, make the same show still. Um, and, uh, I'm just really grateful that we were able to do both, <laughs> you know, uh, and it wasn't easy. Uh, there was a lot of challenges to that. I'm sure as we'll discuss over this, uh, over the, over the course of this year, but, um, yeah, just awesome to see, you know, the, the Brian Pillman story is one that's always been one we've wanted to do. So I'm glad that it's that day is finally here.
0: Before we jump into the Pillman topic specifically, Jason, when did you guys start filming stuff for season three?
1: gosh when was it it was must have been it was august was it august i was gonna say in last summer Mm -hmm. um yeah which is yeah crazy to think because we had finished the show the last season in when was it It, may yeah sometime mid-may and so yeah Yeah. just a little bit it it felt like only like a couple weeks off before we were (laughs) you know researching and you know going down the path of making season 3 and seeing if it was possible.
2: Well, also it was, you know, vice contacting us and, you know, I, you know, wanting the season 3 but also being like, "Oh yeah, asterisks. how about 14 episodes?" You know, which was another crazy thing too because that's not what I whatever even anticipated. That's not what I was prepared for cuz I had my like kind of 10 you know, episodes I was excited about, you know, to present and to develop. And then it was like, oh, no, we got to do more, you know, which is obviously great, you know, that that shows how much how invested they are in the show. But at the same time, it was like, whoa, that's a, you know, you got to make 14 episodes under ostensibly the same time period, you know, and of course, we have this, you know, global crisis going on. So it was just so daunting (laughs) thing to sign up for. At first, a lot of anxiety going into that for us. But, um, but, Man, we had uh, a, an incredible team uh, for this season. Um, we were able to expand the the roster, if you will, for the for our team and they I mean, we couldn't have done it without them. I mean, they just absolutely yeah. this this year's team was absolutely phenomenal. So, yeah, and when we made the whole show remotely, which is just crazy. Um, and the other thing is that you know, travel, was really tricky because we couldn't fly everywhere um, as much, especially in the beginning. It was we we're taking way fewer planes. Um, and so what we did is uh, to, to start out, it was myself, our um, director of photography, um, Andy Appel, <clears throat> and our cam op, but that's way simplifying his role in the show, uh, Dan, uh, Dan Tamizian. And the three of us traveled the country in an rv multiple times crossing the country um probably put on anywhere from i don't know 15 to eighteen thousand miles on this thing you know go you know doing multiple trips and that was just in a crazy experience what a wild time to be traveling the country too so that was another just an experience in and of itself is being on the road for this show versus like you know just taking some planes and you know staying at nice fan you know nice hotels not fancy hotels but nice hotels um (laughs) But yeah, uh, so it was crazy.
1: And it's tricky, too, because, you know, Evan and I are usually, when we're making the show, we're shoulder to shoulder, you know, each other's shadows living together, nonstop making the show. But because of the pandemic, we've had to, like, split up some of our duties. So, you know, I've been handling a lot of the Canadian side of production and Evan's handling the American side and it yeah it's, it's it poses its challenges but we've been able to make it work over like Zoom and whatnot yeah but uh, yeah because it's, it's been crazy and the amount of you know we all ha- we have to do isolation when we you know cross borders so there's like you shoot for a bit and then you got to do two weeks of isolation so I've already for this season have done over like sixty days of isolated quarantine um, uh, which is. Yeah, it can be, it can be tough uh, on the brain a bit, but at least we have the show to uh, you know yeah. occupy us and to work on twenty four seven.
2: Yeah, and I just haven't even I haven't been in like pretty much allowed into Canada, so I've yeah. had to stay down here. So it's it's been a crazy circumstances. It's not how we're used to working, but
0: somehow it, somehow it worked. Uh, Evan, you mentioned a minute ago that you had a great team. You had expanded the team. Uh, of course, we're going to be talking to you guys every single week after every episode, uh, of course, as a reminder, dark side of the ring is back on vice and it airs on Thursday nights. You can count on us here the Friday. So the very next day we're going to be breaking down what happened, but Evan real briefly, let's shout out some team members that you want to highlight. I know there's probably too many for us to list here, but you know, on this specific episode, we're talking about Brian Pillman, who are the MVPs? Oh man, this, yeah. Talk about too many to list. Um, well, first uh,
1: off, uh, right.
2: go ahead. You can start it.
1: Oh, I was just I'm sorry. I was just going to give a big shout out to Curtis Lobb, our um, our editor on the piece. Um, he cut both the uh, the two part of the Brian Pillman episode, and he's cutting a few other episodes for us right now. He's doing our our Dynamite Kid episode right now, and he has been just a an Master. absolute gift. <laughs> you know, yeah. he's. He's helped us out so much, and he's such a talented editor. Um, yeah, I have to give him mad props. Um, he's been incredible, saved us so much. Uh, you know, sort of, you know, take some steps back and, and and allow some people to, some other artists to like really help us. And Kurt has just been a true team player and has like totally immersed himself in the world of Dark Side of the Ring and is obsessed with it just as much as we yeah, true are. True to the crew. So, that's all I can. Yeah. True to the crew. <laughs> Big ups to him.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, Joanne, uh, Joanne Lawton, who is our story editor uh, on the episode. Uh, and that's a job that might not, you know, many we are listening might not know, you know, what the role that that plays. But it's huge because the story editor goes through all of the footage, all the raw footage starts to piece together the skeleton of like how we're going to tell this story. And she did an amazing job. Um, you know, didn't know a whole lot about the wrestling world when she stepped in. And so it was like the really steep learning curve, um, you know, kind of going in, but I mean, just absolutely mastered it. I mean, she went through the five hour Kim Wood interview, which I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, <laughs> later on. So, and that is no, no small task whatsoever. So, yeah, you know, she was amazing. Howard Sheffman who was on dark side of the podcast last season, of course killing it uh, as story producing this so you know chasing down melanie for the show getting getting her in there and uh yeah howard you know amazing and uh uh, uh also very barry,
1: barry davis yeah, yeah our showrunner. go runner. ahead yeah he's, yeah he's been great um it's been awesome having such a strong showrunner um on the show he keeps us all together and he has managed to figure out how to make the show during the pandemic and like I said, everyone's working from home. We all used to work in an office together, and you know we could be driving each other crazy just jumping into <laughs> each other's like editing rooms. But everyone's having to work from home, and you know he's managed that like so well. Barry has put it all together and helped yeah. us create s- such a great team. So yeah, big shout out to Barry.
0: Totally, tons of MVPs, too many to name. Yeah, R- real quick, I want to know, uh, Evan, how did you and Jason sort of pick the topics this year? We know that we're starting with Brian Pillman. So we'll get into that, you know, why Brian and why two parts and all that in a moment. But overall, how did you, how do you guys narrow down, you know, what you want to cover? What's your, what's your process? Well, like, you know, go- going into season three, we had a ton
2: of, um, a ton of wish list items. I remember bouncing several of them off of you, <laughs> Conrad, uh, early on, but it was like, you know, we have the ones that we really wanted to do that we've just been kind of, like, for example, Pillman was one that, you know, we talked about for a while. And, it, you know, and I'm sure we'll get to that. But, you know, we we had these a uh, huge list kind of all of all the ones we've talked about over the years. Like we always kind of approach a new season of the show like, well, if this is the last season, what do we want to make sure we want to get in there? Um, and then as soon as we were off to the races with production, we just would have, you know, big meetings, you know, talking about each story in depth. And really trying to make sure that whatever topic we're, you know, hashing out sort of fits the criteria of having a very strong human interest quality to it. Like here, it's not just a story that's going to excite wrestling fans. It's not just about when so or so won the belt in so and so time period. You know, it's just like we want to have that sweeping personal story, true crime story or just something that we can that that really transcends the wrestling side of things um and then as soon as the as soon as you can and i mean with pillman you can really see it but with uh you know some of the others and and yeah and and that's when we just kind of take one episode shoot it over to the team and then yeah we just get to work on it immediately
1: yeah we also um after every season we put it out there on us on our social media to all our fans and everyone who follows the show you know what would they like to see us cover and always, when we make that post every year, the response is insane and overwhelming. Evan collects them all. He like grabs all the suggestions and puts them in an Excel spreadsheet and <laughs> counts them up. And, you know, because it, it really does mean a lot to us. And, and the fans are so, you know, been so supportive. And we want them to be part of the process and we want them to be um, stoked and happy with the show, too. So they've been a really big help. Um, because it just, when we're teetering on a subject and we don't know, and we see like what the fan, um, what the fan base wants, that kind of helps us tip it over the edge.
0: Totally. Jason, why Brian Pillman? Why was this one you guys have wanted to do for a while? What about his story attracted you and made you think, man, this would be perfect for dark side.
1: Well, for me as a kid watching Brian Pillman, you know, it's, It's interesting because I I was born in 82, and so I grew up with characters like Hulk Hogan and, you know, the Ultimate Warrior and The Undertaker. And then, like, when you get to, like, someone like Brian Pillman, who is, um, and especially for me, like, I didn't, I I, I don't know what happened, but I wasn't, like, I didn't pay attention to the Hollywood blondes uh, at the time. Um, I'm not sure what it was. I I think I may just not have been watching WCW when I was at that age. Uh, but Brian Pillman always like uh stuck out when he was like the loose cannon uh character, and he just seemed like somebody who was just unhinged on the TV screen. You know, he had this like ability to like really reach through the screen and like grab you. I don't know what it was. I like every time I watch like his archive footage and his like his promos and whenever he's going off the handle, he has this way of being able to, like, look down the barrel of, like, the lens of the camera. It's like other wrestlers, like, they kind of look at the camera, but he knows directly, like, how to look down the center of the lens, like, right at you in a way that just makes you think that he is, you know, talking to you. Mm -hmm. And so that always, like, really stuck to me. And then as i gotten older and, you know, learned about the passing of his death and, you know, hearing... um, you know, he's just been somebody that the wrestling world has been so fascinated with. So if you're just a casual wrestling fan and looking into the history of wrestling, like he is someone that always gets talked about and someone who had, you know, he really blurred the lines like his character and the real person were really hard to try and tell apart, uh, tell them apart. And that really fascinates us, and that's kind of like part of like the thesis of our show. When you look back at our pilot episode about Bruiser Brody, we were so fascinated about those blurred lines between his 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 gimmick and the real person, and it was really hard to find out who was the real person with Bruiser Brody. And that is something that like only happens within the wrestling world. It's not something you can really find in any other art form or uh, sport where people are playing their characters to that degree where uh, the people closest to them didn't at times didn't know whether or not who was the real person and who was the character. So, you know, for us on season three, Brian Pillman is such a great way to kind of start the season off again and remind people like, this is what it's all about. Like, this is, you know, what we're really fascinated with. and And I think it, it shows people, you know, the, I guess the, you know, sometimes the tragic outcome of, you know, the ramifications of taking your character to the extremes like Brian Pillman did. And, you know, when you you see how, you know, his family were left with the the wreckage of his passing and they didn't know his, some of the kids didn't even know if it was like an angle, uh, like a story angle that he died, you know, and they were waiting for the cameras to show up at home. So you know, to to for it to go to that to those lengths, I think that is interesting for people, and yeah, it's it's, it's a it's a very f- fascinating story for us.
2: Yeah, I was just also going to say too. Um, yeah, I think in many ways it is kind of a quintessential dark side of the ring story, or for us because you know you have this just fascinating wrestling career trajectory. You know, here's a guy you know blurring the lines, taking it farther than anybody. You know, and you really can, you know, for, for for non-wrestling fans, you can get into that, which I think is, is fascinating to, mm-hmm. you know, to those viewers. But you also have just this just like incredibly tragic, compelling, but, you know, horrifying family drama as well in terms of just, you know. The various, you know, the fact that you know Brian's having children with other women, and he's having to consistently, you know, provide for, and then that's what's motivating him to do what he's doing in the ring, and it's just like a, and then of course everything being derailed by the accident. It's just it's such a unbelievable story when you really break it down. And I actually remember in season two, I think it was, I had been recommended, you know, uh, Liam O'Rourke's book, uh, Crazy Like a Fox, about Brian Pillman, which I thought was just fantastic. Uh, just read it on the road and was like, really? Because I, I had known Pillman, you know, from his stomp action figure, you know, maybe. And Pillman's got a gun, you know, uh, of course, on all the like, you know, the, the Attitude Era highlight packages, but didn't really know what was going on at home with him. And as soon as like, you know, you get a peek into that, it was like, oh my God, like this, this can. This this is a story that really you could see it when I was reading that book. I could just see it and then, it, you know, but for us, you know, I think we we didn't really pursue it until we knew that like Steve Austin was a lock, I feel like, because I think he's such a huge part of the story. You know, Brian and Steve Austin's career are are intertwined and in very crucial different parts, you know, for both of them, respectively. Um, and I think that that always winds up being kind of just a little footnote in, in in the story of both of them, you know, or more so Steve's, you know, and I just felt like uh, it is kind of a Steve origin story a little bit, too, in a lot of ways, because like, you can really see the Steve Austin's own cold character take off with that angle with Brian. And then, of course, you know, Hollywood Blinds is kind of one of the more successful chapters in Steve's early career, you know, pre-haircut pre pre, pre haircut Steve, you know, and, uh, and I feel like, you know, season two, we just didn't really have that we didn't really have that, that street cred that we talk about, you know, to really be like, Hey, Steve, you want to be in our show? Um, and, uh, until I think, you know, season two had kind of proved itself a little bit. And then once, once, once Steve was in, it was like, all right, like, this is, this is going to be a real deal show here.
0: Before we talk about Austin, Jason, I want to know, you know, when you guys are, are tasked with 14 episodes, why does Brian, for lack of a better word, get the Benoit treatment? He gets two episodes. How, how do you land on two parts for brian
1: yeah well it's um you know it's almost every episode could almost be two parts sure um because like evan was saying our you know just the kim wood interview alone is five hours long um and that's you know for for the most part, all our interviews, uh, to a degree, um, but it's just such a big—it's a big story. It's a very big story. Um, we want to have time to get all you know, like all the fa- the family members involved with it, and to have them speak their truths. And you know, you could to compact that story down to just forty four minutes wouldn't do it justice. You wouldn't get the. The nuances that um, are needed to really show the impact of, you know, how he got to where his character was. And then when he passes away, the ramifications and how his family had to pick up the pieces. And a large part of episode two is about the kids and the family dealing with his death. And, you know, I, it would have been tough to have squeezed that in to the the 44 minutes along with all his career stuff. Um, oh my god. So yeah, we really needed that that time and thankfully well, the network uh, allowed us to Yeah. do that.
2: Yeah, and and honestly when we when we when we embarked on the episode <clears throat> it was just going to be a, an hour long story which is like comical to to think about now. Um, but that that's what it was supposed to be. It was just a regular old hour of the of the show and then <clears throat> I'm sure as we'll talk about later more uh, the the, the headcount of subjects for that episode started multiplying quite rapidly. Um, you know, you have five family members, and then you had, you know, six others. It was, it was getting to be sort of like the biggest roster that we have having for an episode. And we had to figure out something. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, after a five, five hour Kim Wood interview and everything else. <laughs> We sort of had to like go back to the network and basically guys like we we need the extra hour like and we had to retroactively go back and re-pitch it as a two-hour show and get the green light in order to expand it because there was just we were struggling and um and there was no way else to really do that and even then we're still brimming you know at at two hours so yeah that, that was a thing that was a call that was made like during during the editing process to expand it so
0: so, uh, let's talk about the big story. Uh, how in the world did you get stone cold, Steve Austin to participate? You know, I don't mean to speak out of school, but I think we fans at home, uh, we've always believed that the WWE probably hates this show and <laughs> there's no way that they would allow one of their, you know, contracted folks to appear on the show. And not only did he appear on the show in the backdrop, it's the broken skull sessions set and. I think a lot of people had to be like, whoa, Steve Austin is on this. How did it happen? Well, it was, um, I mean, you know, dream, you
2: know, something we something, you know, to be able to have him on the show is like kind of crazy going thinking back to way back in the days of season one. Um, But yeah, vital for the story. So we had to give it our best, our best shot. And shout out to uh, Jim Ross, who. uh, I remember talking to him about this episode, talking to Jim, and 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 he was basically like, "Well, I I can't see how you can do it without Steve. This feels like it's not much of an episode without Steve." So, um, you know, Jr. being you know such a great guy and so supportive of the show, like can't you know we're so grateful for him. He he was more he was he was going to reach out, you know, for us to see, you know, because obviously they they go way back, you know. Um, And I think it was like. Sometime last year when we were like right in the beginning of production, I was just chilling on the couch watching TV. I looked down at my phone and all of a sudden I get a text and I'm on a text chain with Steve Austin and Jim Ross. And uh, that's when it was like, you know, there are are a few mark out moments with the show, but that was like, whoa, you know, this is this was crazy. So yeah, so JR set it up. um, And, um, you know, Steve texted me, you know, hey, I'll call you, you know tomorrow you know whatever and the next day yeah he gave me a ring and 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 we spoke and yeah it was you know for me it was like i was such a huge steve austin fan growing up as a kid um but yeah we just talked about brian for about a half an hour and you know talked he talked about the chain that he had and he talked about just the show he was cool as can be and yeah we started talking and then and then um he by the end of the conversation he was like yeah i'm in and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then <clears throat> a few months later, when we were ready to do the interview, we came down to Los Angeles. I I actually flew, you know, down for that. And um, yeah, he was the coolest. He was amazing. Um, when we did the interview, it was awesome. But afterwards, just Jason and I like hung out for him for about like an hour or so just BSing about like, you know, the different Folks that have been on our show, the stories, you know, what's up with Gino Hernandez, what's up with the Von Ericks, you know, and just like, you know, talk. And he is such a student of wrestling history, yeah. and is so uh, knows everything. You know, he knows absolutely everything about the history of wrestling, and uh, I mean, he's, he's crossed paths with them all, and he's he's still, you know, after all of that, so continually fascinated by the business and such a fan of the business. Um, but like, fan of the business in the truest, purest sense you know like you know obviously you know you know he 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 loves the old he loves the old time stuff and he loves the classics and the icons you know the most you know more so than more contemporary stuff you know but man like it's so cool to talk to him about wrestling just not not on like a fan sort of way but just like legitimately like he understands it on a, on a level that's like you know on, on a whole new level you know and so he's just so great can't say enough that's great about him and i just love how he comes across in the episode too he's so like down to earth in the episode and just leveled and it's just it's really cool yeah i think yeah
1: yeah it was amazing when we like sat down in that set with him because that's like you know it's part of his like his it's in the backyard i think of his house so we're like setting up and it's early in the morning and he comes down and he sits in the chair and he's just like, I just need a couple minutes here, and I'll be good to go, you know. And he, I, and he just he sat, he sat there and he drank a coffee, and we were just kind of talking a little bit, and then once he was done that coffee, he's like, "All right, I'm good." And then boom, yeah. it was just like, he's yeah. <laughs> like in such a great way. It was amazing. But what's <coughs> also made that a really big deal for us is that um, Evan, when he was a kid, he got to meet Stone, oh, no. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> How old were you, Evan? Eight years old, maybe?
2: No, I was eleven. Eleven. Okay, um,
1: yeah. And this I was actually, at the at the talk. Mall of America, right? And um, and so dad, uh, Evan's dad uh, works in the music industry and had worked on this album with Stone Cold. There you go. It's right there. Um, what's it called, Evan? Uh, Stone Stone Cold Metal Man. Stone Cold um, Metal. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So. Um, so my dad was uh, um, executive uh, at Sam Goody, if y'all remember. Yeah, Sam Goody, and um, uh, th- there's actually a couple. There's actually one more wrestling record out there floating out there called World of Wrestling Rocks. Type it in your Google machine. Um, it's uh, it's re-records of WWF theme songs from the late '90s, and that's a product of me being like, Dad, you got to do something with wrestling, you know, as a young kid, and he listened and he made like a cheap cheapo bootleg you know re-records of wrestling jams and actually the interstitials on that record you know because it has like little commentary moments that's my dad on commentary being like oh he just hit him with the chair and oh my god ddt and you know whatever it's it's amazing so anyway so we did that first and then it escalated to this which was um uh, not something that he was not part of actually like, you know, producing or whatnot, but he was part of like, I think probably the marketing or something of it in the Sam Goody stores, you know, because it was a big deal. I mean, fucking wrestling was huge at this point. Yeah. Um. So anyway, so he gets the he gets the CD done and obviously, you know, he was he he stopped at nothing to get me to meet Steve Austin. I mean, literally, he went to every the ends of the earth to make it happen And um, there was literally probably 10,000, I mean, there were thousands of people in the Mall of America waiting to meet Steve Austin out in the atrium area. And he got me the private meeting in the inner sanctum of the mall. And um, I just remember, you know, totally marked out with the full Steve Austin, you know, attire. And And I walk in there and here he is. And, you know, I just knew that like being there, I had to have, I had to like leave some mark for lack of a better term no pun intended i had to leave some mark on this exchange that i had as a kid and so um so i i just i i just like after he signed my poster i just went up to him and i was like uh hey uh my friends are wondering um what do you think of goldberg you know and asked him what he thought of goldberg and this is 1998 you know and for any attitude Era a fan they know that the, that you'd never get that opinion anywhere else, and so and he was super diplomatic, but also mildly in character, saying, you know, I think he's you know copying me, and you know, but whatever, you know, he's got a family to feed or whatever he said, and you know, it was just amazing, and that's like my sh- first shoot interview, that's the first dark side yeah. of the ring interview is right there,
1: and what's cool um, about it too <clears> is this dad filmed it all, it's yeah, all on tape, yeah. and so you know that's been I, I you you put it out there online before, yeah, but to see it come full circle or you know because i've seen that tape a bunch of times and <laughs> to see evan now sitting in front of stone cold i filmed it and you know we we brought that up you brought it up to him and he was still yeah like, so cool about it so hopefully we can re- like get permission we can release that sometime but um, yeah i gotta like really work cool.
2: up I got to work up the courage to, like, text it to Steve to be like, can I put this out, sir? But it's, like, so embarrassing because it's, like, <laughs> you know. And then, yeah, but when we did the interview, it was like, uh, all right, Steve, when I was 11, I I I, I met you. Um, but uh, let me ask you now, what do you think of Bill Goldberg? And if and he just gave us, like, the most sincere answer, you know. Like, he's like, yeah, back when I was talking to you, you know, in the late 90s about it. And I was just like, <laughs> talking to me? You know, um, and it was it was it was awesome i mean what a what an awesome dude yeah, yeah just can't can't but then also guys stone cold metal by the way
0: not bad uh, awesome not bad
2: not bad not bad uh okay yeah i mean we got look at detroit rock city on here we got slow ride by fog hat you know we got some bangers on here god yeah. of thunder by kiss
0: ted nugent's on there ted nugent's on here oh. yeah yeah. gotta What's go the pick deal it
1: up. With- This one, the worry turns into a snake. (laughs) You have stone cold country.
0: Oh my gosh. Listen to you. Uh, uh, Let's get back on track, guys. My goodness. Okay. okay, okay, Show and tell is over. (laughs) (laughs) $91,000. $91,000. That's how much Michael in North Carolina saved at savewithconrad.com. He left us a five-star review that said, I've had many bad experiences with buying and refinancing but my experience with first family was first class easy and overall a great experience. Derek and Jennifer are awesome. To be honest, I was skeptical that this process was going too smooth and anxiety levels rose waiting for something bad to happen, but we closed and I slept like a baby. It was nuts. Derek and the crew saved me $91,000 off the life of my new loan and cut my interest rate by almost half. Thank you, thank you, thank you, First Family Mortgage. No, thank you, Michael. Thanks for listening to the podcast, and thanks for letting us save your family 91,000 bucks. Now, that's his number, 91 grand. What's your number? You see, it's not a matter of if we can save you money, it's a matter of how much. If you can hear my voice and you have a 30-year loan, a second mortgage, or a credit card debt, I guarantee I can save you cash. Find out how much right now for free. This is no cost, no obligation, and if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. And at SaveWithConrad.com, you're not being rerouted overseas. You're talking to me and my family at First Family. It's SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payment for two months? How's that for a summer break from house payments? No payments in June or July. You're done until August 1st at SaveWithConrad.com let's talk about Melanie. Yeah. I think a lot of fans, you know, the last <laughs> Great time they, segue. they saw Melanie on, on TV was, was right after Brian died. And I know we're going to talk about that interview, but Melanie, um, I mean, Kim woods, the breakout star of the episode. And I think Linda Pillman's probably the, the family MVP and Brian jr is a real life baby face. And we're going to talk about all that, but did mm. er, is is everybody going to have the same reaction when they see melanie like whoa well yeah um
2: you know obviously you know melanie we we knew is you know we really wanted to have in the episode and kudos to brian junior who is the first person i ever reached out to for this episode um you know picked up the phone gave him a call and um I actually remember meeting Brian Jr. at Starcast again. This all goes back to Starcast. <laughs> uh, thank you for that. Yeah, uh, he uh, he was in the green room and he's like, I think I think this was season one had just aired and he was like, I think uh, you know my I think it's like, he's saying like my family story would be a fit for your show or something like that. And I was like, give me your phone number because like yes, and I took his phone number then years ago. So that's how long it's been sitting. Um, so called him up. We talked. He was so down and he wanted to speak to his family, of course. Um, but kudos to Brian Jr. because even though his relationship with his mother, Melanie, is is complicated, very complicated, as we saw in the episode, and so is everybody else's you know, relationship with her and uh, all the different parts there. But he knew that in order to do this story justice and to tell it, you know, right, and authentically you have to have everyone's perspective in it and it was important to bring everybody together so brian jr played a huge part in kind of getting everybody together and uh, to tell the story and you know to provide support and comfort to all them that needed it and that was just i mean amazing we wouldn't be able to do it without that um and you know howard too howard Sheffman, as we've shouted out before you know was uh was was chasing down melanie as well there was kind of maybe a a chance that she might not have showed up for the interview when we were doing it. And we were very nervous about that, but very thankful that she's in the story. And I think, yeah. you know, the just real quick, I was going to say, I think fans reactions to seeing her her viewers, you know, is very extreme because um, obviously she's had a hard life. Um, but I think the thing to me that as the episode rolls on and I think I'm, you know, especially into part two, you really understand that, you know, she's broken by a lot of this stuff. Like a lot of what has happened to her um, in terms of the passing of Brian, um, you know, the addictions that she's faced, you know, she had another uh, she had another kid that passed away as well, you know, so she's really gone through a lot. And I think she's broken by a lot of this and and just trying to pick up the pieces of her life and put it together. And yeah. and that's really raw. And that's hard to, you know, that's hard to watch sometimes. But, you know, um, but yeah, just grateful that she sh- that she was on the show
1: yeah i think it um it there's there's bravery in what she did too you know oh yeah um you know she's very honest about uh her uh some of the mistakes she had made and um i find that to be yeah very brave uh i can't imagine how hard that is to talk about and be honest about um so i'm yeah i'm very thankful that she she did that (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's powering to see, you know, how Brian and her have uh, grown in their relationship um, over the years. I think, uh, you know, especially when you see part two of the episode and he talks about his relationship with his mom. I don't know. I think that's something like people, a lot of people can relate to, you know, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people out there who have um, um, tough relationships with their, with their parents and people that they love and, you know, to see how Brian is so like grown up about it. And yep. um, that to me, yeah. like, like how he talks about like his, you know, even like his relationships with other women have been better and his um, just his relationship with like his, his mom and how he understands other people's like addictions and plights and stuff like that stuff. Like I feel like I'm just been in my life been kind of discovering as well too and learning. So I, uh, yeah, I'm just inspired by, by them.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it, it yeah, I was gonna say it's very inspiring. And I'm yeah, and, and yeah, I, I can't imagine because, you know, Melanie knows that, um, you know, how her, how her uh, family, her other members of her family um, is, you know, perceives her, and, you know, knows that and knows that the, compli- the 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 relationships are complicated, and yet still, yeah, shows up goes on camera. And, you know, yeah, and, 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 and tells it like it is. And I think that's, you know, really, um, yeah, really admirable.
0: All these years later, Jason, what do you make of the decision to put Melanie on TV the day after the pay per view, where we learned Brian Pillman passed away?
1: Oh, um, yeah, it's interesting. When I when I was a kid and I saw that, I I think I still like maybe I like had thought it was like part of a work or something because when I was a kid, it never registered like how ridiculous and and, and heartbreaking that is to like do to someone and now you know watching it it's um it's it's like it's pretty unbelievable um <laughs> you know it's really heartbreaking and even i don't even know how like I, watching it again last night and seeing how she's talking about how you know her husband. Uh, relied on painkillers because of the injuries that he sustained through wrestling. And she's talking about it in such a way that is um, that like, I I just, I don't know how uh, like I could never have have done something like that, you know, Um, like, and and how she like was warning other spouses and other wrestlers to, you know, to, to check on themselves about this kind of stuff because she never thought it would have happened to her and her husband Um, but yeah, she was like, she was putting out a warning even in this, the craziness of Vince putting her on TV and, um, and yeah, putting her under, you know, the microscope in that moment is, uh, yeah, that's really tough.
2: Well, it's, it's extremely awkward, you know, it's, it's just, it's so it's cringy and it's awkward to see. And I think it's very quintessential nineties. Yeah. It's a very like nineties exploitation thing to do. Yep. Um, you know, uh, so so it, it dates horribly. You know, um, in terms of watching it back, and I and and, and I do think that, I, and I'm totally speculating on this, but I do think that you know because Brian was one of the first deaths of in that way. You know, um, on the way to the show, you know, pill related kind of thing. I do think that you know maybe in in part Vince was probably trying to you know utilize that as a warning. Signed to the rest of his roster as well. Um, I mean, otherwise, I mean that's the first question he asks, you know. Um, but I, I just think it's yeah, it, it dates horribly, and um, it's just yeah, that that nineties exploitation vibes, uh, hardcore, and um, you know. But Melanie was, I remember in the interview, very not wanting to shit all over it in terms of like, you know, I, I, I totally regret it. And it was, you know, I, I should never have done, you know, she, she, she didn't want to totally put the, the only thing that bothered her was the, that question when she told him not to ask, told Vince not to ask. Um, but I mean, I, everybody else we talked to was just like, no, 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 no. Um, you know, this, this just looks, you know, we, we didn't, this was not a good look at all by any means, but I think it's also interesting to look at, you know, Brian being one of the guys that blurred the lines you know, and you, like Jason said, I, I, I think for a lot of people when that probably aired, they probably thought it was part of the show, you know, to some extent. Or there was some thought of that because that was never done. Something like that was never done. I mean, you know, Brian's character was always used to break the fourth wall. And here it is in this capacity. Like, I mean, it's wild. It's just it's just a wild part of that trajectory of mm-hmm. even the character after death, you
0: know, post post death. So let's talk a little bit about the breakout star of the show. You mentioned earlier, you got five hours with him. Uh, Evan, are we ever going to get bonus footage from Kim Wood? The Kim Is, Wood cut? My the gosh. Kim Wood cut? Unbelievable.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, the Kim Wood cut. Yeah. Um, man, man. Oh, man. Kim. Um, yeah. Uh, love Kim. Love Kim to death. One of the harder interviews I've ever done. Why,
0: how no. so? Uh, how so? Why? Oh,
2: <laughs> it was just like you know he's just he he's he's an eccentric cat man you know and he's a cool guy but you know you have to you know he's one of the guys where he sits you down and you know you ask him the story and he's gonna take you on you know a journey you know back to you know some i don't know some sort of like here's you know the aztecs you know when they came together and forged the temples and you know and then you have to listen to like you know Probably about a 30 minute lead up to every the answer of every question, which is delightful. But when you're on a schedule and you're looking at, oh, my God, I have 200 more questions for you and we're going to be here all day type thing, um, you know, (laughs) but the coolest thing about Kim Wood was when you get on his property and that that room that we shot him in is is literally all of uh, it's like a museum of like turn of the century weightlifting gear. Which is unbelievable. I mean, it's just, it's so cool. And um, he's just a wealth of knowledge. And I think he was sizing me up a little bit at first because he's such a tough dude, you know? And, and, you know, he's been around some real tough, masculine dudes. And I think he was kind of taking one look at me and wasn't sure about me until we started talking movies. And we started talking movies and, um, he was like, yeah, there's this movie uh, House of Games that Brian loved. And I was like, oh, it's one of my favorites, you know. So you have to sometimes find that thing that you can connect, you know, with some of these, you know, harder nuts to crack in terms of some of the people we've had on the show. And House of Games, real quick, is a really fascinating movie that I think does show you, you know, because Brian loved this not well, very well-known movie, it shows you that how, you know, Brian was so into – he was a sponge – like absorbing all the things that you know, Kim was loaning him. Kim was loaning him books about con men and books about deception. And uh, House of Games is about con men. It's this amazing Joe Mantegna uh, starring film uh, directed by David Mamet, which is about this woman who uh, is a journalist who and she's she's a journalist, author, and she gets access into the inner circle of these con men. And she thinks that she's doing kind of like a, you know, uh, expose kind of here's how it all works. So here's the con trade kind of story. But in reality, they're all working the shit out of her. Um, and she becomes the victim of their biggest con and 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 gets blindsided by it at the end of it. And and so, you know, when, when Kim and I were kind of vamping on this amazing movie, he was like, oh, you know, House of Games. And then now it was like, okay, you know, he knows what he's talking about. Um, but it really showed me that like, Yeah, I mean, when you talk about his exit to WCW, you know, with Eric Bischoff and all that, like you know, Brian knew that shit and knew that you know to be part of, you know, to make a con, you maybe have to bring people in to deceive people and 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 manipulate them in a very you know you know sincere or not sincere, but you're not sincere, but you know over the top sort of way. So that was cool, you know, just to level with Kim on that. But yeah, I mean, you know, uh, there's there's a lot of footage (laughs) there's a lot of footage on the cutting room floor of kim getting very uh what's the frustrated with me and i think you know that part in the show last night where he's like no it's about money bottom line yeah you know that's that's him yelling at me i think legitimately because i'm kind of sparring with him in this interview because i'm consistently bringing him back to the matter at hand Um, and so the mental gymnastics of this interview was so taxing, you know, I love you, Kim. Um, but my favorite fucking part, just really quick, uh, about this interview was when he was talking, somehow we got on the Fox catcher subject matter. So like, you know, I'm just like, you know, tell us about, you know, the loose cannon. He'd be like, let me tell you about Fox catcher, you know? And then he would just like start talking about Fox catcher. And started talking about this one move that the, that the like Olympic wrestling team had that would put you in some you know Vulcan neck pinch or something. And I'm just like sitting, sitting here after you know learn about this thing. It's like I'm gonna tell you about this move, and I can't remember what it was called. It was called like Fox Five, Fox Force Five, or something. You know, probably ask Kurt Angle about it. And um, I was like, Kim, can we can we please get back to you know talking about the story? And he'd be like. If I don't get this in, if I don't talk about the Fox Force Five, I'm gonna fucking walk. I'm gonna fucking walk. You know? and I was just like, okay, <laughs> talk about it. Go ahead, go nuts. I'm gonna fucking walk. So he was. He's. He's a. He's a. He's a character, man. Uh, but you know. So after it, I was like exhausted, drained from this interview. But you know, when you when you roll it back, worth every second because yes. he's the. He's I mean, he's the star of the show. I mean, you know, people want it. he's getting bookings now, bad. I'm sure he's getting booked. You know, I'm sure he's already, you know, <laughs> Bruce Pritchard's listening.
0: Book him. You know? You think Bruce <clears throat> Pritchard's got time to listen to this podcast? I <laughs> uh, sure he didn't have he didn't have time to record with me when he's listening to this. Oh, I'm just messing with you. Book hey, him, Bruce. Um the line of the show, it's gotta be boy, I'm I I'm even nervous about saying it. What do you do with a yeah. horse? <laughs> my gosh he had the line of the show did he not I uh, he had a couple of them he had a couple of them um you know and yeah i mean we
2: were just cracking up like watching that footage back i mean and just yeah he just talk about give no fucks i mean kim wood gives zero negative he's in
0: the negative on giving fucks yeah and um who gives less and, fucks uh, jim ross or kim wood it's probably a tie <laughs>
2: right they're both up there for sure. That's yeah. a great tag team. Um, but uh, man, Kim Wood just, yeah, just, I mean, that's what you hope for when you're making a show like this is to come across, you know, the people who aren't necessarily just like the, those characters, the guys that leap across the screen, they, they've they lived these lives that just, you know, make your life feel like the most insignificant no, mundane experience ever. And, you know, he is uh fascinating, fascinating, uh, individual and, yeah you know, love you kim love you kim but you know i'm gonna fucking walk
1: <laughs> that was great I, I think it's like we wanted to show that side of him too because this is who was mentoring yeah uh brian pillman you know so you i have think to you imagine getting a little insight into who kim wood is i think helps you better understand you know the process that brian pillman uh used and how he was being taught can you-
2: can you imagine just being huddled in like, like kitchen, like just like, come, like scheming, like with him, like amazing. Like, okay, here's how we're going to fuck him. Here's Man. how we're going to do it.
0: You know, <laughs> just like, you know, like, it's awesome. Yeah. I love it. <clears throat> Let's yeah. talk about uh, somebody who wasn't on the episode that I was kind of shocked. Didn't participate. Uh, I knew oh, no. that Kim Wood was going to be a soundbite machine for you, but where was Mark Madden? <laughs> was Mark Madden even somebody you thought about Jason or why did he not make well, the cut? I would have fallen on me. Probably. Yeah. Oh, okay. you
1: know, yeah for sure.
2: Well, far away. Um, all right. Well, so. Well, OK. Well, just just to understand the breadth of the whole thing. It was, you know, a couple of different factors. And, uh, you know. Um, number one, it was uh, when this was planned as an hour show, I was starting. We were all starting to start sweating in turn Because we now we've I mean, we've done 16 episodes by this point. We kind of know how this you know, this is all the show. The shows are made and how hard it is once you get a bigger like the big roster of characters it becomes really hard for in our style um to get everybody in because sometimes you know i mean Snooka episode i think is an example of that where it becomes very challenging and and like and you have someone in there and then you only give them like two sound bites and then that's almost worse in some way because it's like you know then you've really cut this person down and so <clears throat> I knew when we were getting into this and, and it was an hour show before we got the green light for the two hour show, we had 11 people already in the show. That's and, a lot. You know, it's a lot. And 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 uh, Jason and I stylistically prefer the intimacy of a, a small, the smaller, the better. I mean, we've done full shows with four people. The David Schultz episode is only four people. Von Erics is four people, not counting, you know, Marshall and Ross. But anyway... That's the that's how we approach the shows. And when it was ballooning past 11, I was getting very worried. And I remember telling Howard, like, you know, slow down, put the brakes on. Like, you know, this is going to be really tough on the edit to make it all work and to not... Because, you know, we, we like to have the breath in the show. And it's really tough when it's just like too many voices and uh, things like that. So, you know, I kind of wanted the one, like, position for... Uh, Pillman relationship that was, um, you know, uh, you know, because Pillman had so many relationships with folks in the media, as we'll say, or like you know, like uh, with Mark and with uh, Dave Meltzer and uh, Bruce Mitchell, and you know, he had all these relationships with, 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 you know, that he would you know phone people all hours of the night and pontificate and you know go off the deep end. And I knew that Mark was a part of that story. But it's like for us, it's like we need the one slot that's going to exemplify that type of relationship. And Dave was the one that we went with, mostly because you need to be able to tell the smart fan side of this story. Like non-wrestling fans don't understand the concept of the newsletters and newsletter readers. And, and that's a really complicated inside baseball thing that you need to know in the story. So Dave was the one that fit all of the aspects of that part of Brian's life. That being said... Um, You know, when we got the two-hour show, obviously we're restricted by travel too. I mean, we're driving around in a freaking RV for Christ's sake. But I will say this because I I I do get a lot of messages every day. Why isn't Mark Madden in the show? Why isn't Mark Madden in the show? Well, first, you know, I I, you know Brian Jr. told me about Mark too, and I and and I and I and I knew about it too. I I just was really uh, I, I I I was about to reach out to him. I was probably within an hour of reaching out to him when all of a sudden uh, I see all of this uh, bizarre stuff on Twitter of him sort of just saying like, I should be in this show. Why am I not in the show? They're never going to call me, you know, doing kind of his shock jock thing on, on, on Twitter. And I just got turned off by that. I just kind of got turned off by that vibe of like, you know, maybe this his heart isn't in the right place. And it's like, you know, we're all kind of coming at this as like a, a much more uh, emotional thing for Brian and the family. And it was just kind of this just weird tone. And I was just like, you know what? Mm, Nah, you know, because it was just like, first off, we're brimming with subjects. And, you know, in the COVID world to schedule any interview is like a puzzle piece of a road trip tour. You know, so um, when I sort of saw that, I just was like, I just don't know if his heart's in the right place for what we're doing right now. And by the way, we're already kind of overbooked. And so, you know. That is what it is. And so that's the God's honest truth. You know, I was just a little turned off. And uh, and we have too many voices as it is, you know, for the show. So sorry, but, you know, that's the truth.
0: One of the more famous stories that's associated with Brian Pillman, um, sort of a what if, involved the Super oh. Bowl. Jason, did, yeah. did that come up at any point, the Super Bowl story?
1: It was something that we wanted to include in the episode. Um, but again, just with the running time and where you're, you're on – track with telling a story and to try and take this like sidebar you know story of him because like the idea was that he was going to you know run into the field and handcuff himself to like the goalposts, which would have been absolutely incredible <laughs> like i would have loved to have seen that um, yeah but yeah we it, it was it's tough to fit everything into the show
2: yeah he was gonna he was and and, and this is the mark madden you know, it, this is a story that Mark Madden would 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 tell, and I did know that this was probably not going to make it in as well as 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 we were planning out the story. It was just one of those kind of side stories where you know one of the big for those who don't know, yeah, one of the big stunts that Brian was going to try to pull off was to to get Kim Wood's credentials, you know, because Kim Wood with the NFL and everything during the Super Bowl was going to break in, chain himself to the goalpost during the Super Bowl. <laughs> you know, and he was ready and willing to spend whatever time in jail he had to because he knew that that would, um, you know, absolutely raise his value. Um, yeah. Amazing. Sh- amazing thing. But, you know, because it sort of like didn't happen and it was just sort of a, a or sort of what if thing. It was one of the things that we sidelined for the episode. But yeah, I mean, just goes goes to the lore of yeah. Brian is, is you know it's amazing
1: it'd be really cool to see someone do that someday
0: <laughs> yeah why, why are you doing that come on Kim would you Wood should do it now <laughs> hey so let's talk about uh Jim Cornette for a minute is Jim Cornette just a dark side of the ring dream it feels like he is a human soundbite machine he knows how to play to the camera he knows how to speak in soundbites uh, every time Jim Cornette is on camera for you guys he jumps off the screen I think he's probably the, the MVP of the series. Would you guys disagree? Yeah,
1: He's like our our favorite stop, you know, not only is it like amazing to hang out in his home and, you know, go through his, uh, all his wrestling memorabilia. (laughs) Um, but he is in an incredible promo, a great soundbite. Like when you're editing, Um, these episodes, and you need to have that soundbite that just tells you the history and and, and, and guides, you know, the viewer to where we are in the story, you can always rely on cutting to Jim Cornette because he's just such a wealth of knowledge. He's like the... It's the only other person I've ever met that's like him is like Quentin Tarantino, who has this like <laughs> insane amount of like knowledge about the thing that he loves to like he can remember every single person's name and date and detail. And so to have someone like that on our show is just so it's, it's it's incredibly valuable. Um, it's, and he's yeah. so entertaining to watch.
2: Yeah, Oh my god! Like I, I, think it's like like does wrestling mean more to anybody than Jim Cornette? You know, yeah. like he is he 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 bleeds wrestling, um, and he's he's amazing. And you know, um, yeah, he is he is just like uh, <clears throat> in terms of like like a night off. You know, as wrestlers say, like a night off in the <laughs> ring. You know, um, that that is what it feels like for us. Where it's like we know when we when, when we show up. And we do the interview um, that, like, he, you know, it's not
0: Kim Wood. We're you just don't gonna have to pull it out of him. He's just going to oh, give no. it to you.
2: Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, and and exactly, and 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 it's yeah. He's he 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 definitely forerunner for Dark Side of the Ring Hall of Fame, and
1: uh,
2: <laughs> um, yeah, he's yeah, fantastic. And, yeah.
1: and it's ins- it it is honestly inspiring to like when we spend those that time with him. It just rejuvenates like it makes us remember what this is all about because when you're with him, it's just like being with someone who's obsessed with the same thing that you are and has that passion for it. And you are, you know, you're just vibing on this level. And then when we leave, we're just like filled with more passion and more energy to keep tackling the show. Yeah. And, and
2: also just a quick thing to point out too, is you'll notice he's not wearing the Jim Cornette shirt this season. Um, which is interesting. And I, I just couldn't believe it when he came and we're setting up the shot in his room there and he comes in from, you know, downstairs and he's wearing this pink dress shirt. And I was like, what's going on here? And he's like, season three, this is my season three shirt. You know? So he was going, he was, you know, he, he's going classy this season. He's not, he's not, he's not wearing the, you know, the, uh, track pants and the Jim Cornette shirt, you know, he's going, he's going, he's going season three look, which I like.
0: (laughs) Let's, let's talk Jason a little bit about Linda. Uh, Linda to me, um, she feels like everybody's aunt, you know, not just Brian's aunt, Mm -hmm. but I mean, I think everybody probably has an aunt Linda and you know, for a lot of families, aunt Linda's are the people who, who keep this thing together. Is that sort of the vibe you got talking to her?
1: Definitely. Um, You know, she's like, that seems to be the heart of that family and has kept all the kids together. And, you know, it was really important for us to show that side of her. Like, there's that little moment in episode two where you hear Brian Pillman Jr. went upstairs to use the bathroom during her interview. And then you just hear him scream like, oh, God, because he saw a spider in the bathroom. And she had seen it there earlier and she left it there. So she instantly (laughs) knew because Brian has like a... big fear of spiders but -hmm. it's like this genuine moment you know i watched it with my family last night and they just like it seemed like this moment of like relief and they laughed and they were like they everyone in my family was like i love linda you know like Mm -hmm. and uh that moment i think just you know just to get a little break and to kind of step out and just see what the home dynamic is there uh is I think like such a treat and then you get, it makes you feel good because you, you know, these kids are, you know, they're being looked after by someone who has such a huge heart and, you know, for everything that they've gone through. And, you know, you watch that story and it's just so tragic and hard to imagine. And then, but Linda is like the light at the end of it. And she's been there, you know, their angel that has, you know, um, in some ways like rescued them through this. Uh, So yeah, she's incredible. (laughs)
2: And I I love just like metaphorically from a storytelling point of view, just like you know, you know Linda would take in a spider, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I, yeah. I think I think that that's just you know speaks so volumes just to how big her heart is, and you know, um, yeah, she's she's amazing, and also Brian Jr. Uh, this week, you know, on uh, AEW actually brought her down to the show you know so all, so all, so all the guys and girls in the back could meet you know could meet Linda and and see you know here's the real hero and i think that's amazing too that like you know like like Linda you know backstage at AEW is just an awesome like you know thing to see
0: you know one of the hardest parts about wrestling and and sort of making it from the performer side of things is you've got to connect with the audience you know you can you can probably do the moves and you might be able to you know, put together a decent match, but you've got to make us care. And I can't help, but feel like more people care about Brian Pillman Jr. Today than they ever have before, because you guys were allowed the opportunity to spend some time with him and showcase who he really is and not necessarily what he wants his wrestling persona to be, or, or someone else wants his wrestling persona to be. Would you be surprised to see Brian Pillman Jr.'s like popularity skyrocket from this point. I mean, this almost feels like, and I'm not, I I know this is weird because we're talking about dark side of the ring, but one of my takeaways was, man, everybody got to really see who Brian Pillman jr. Was. I think this could be, it's, it's random that we're talking about it in this context, but you can't help but pull for the guy now. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly like, I mean, I,
2: whenever I saw Brian jr. I was like, Whoa, cool mullet dude, you know? Yeah. And then like, after spending time with him and like being like, whoa, and his perspective and um, yeah, like how mature he is, you know, it's like, and just how what a cool guy, you know, he is like, I, I remember just after that interview, sitting across from him, especially when he's going through all these really difficult emotional things and, you know, and then seeing him afterwards, you know, just as a fly on the wall, you know, spending time with his, you know, with his mom, Melanie and all that stuff. I Yeah, I felt that too. And I've ever since been just like, pulling for him and pushing for him. And uh, I think, you know, I think after that episode and, uh, you know, after he at the end is talking about that difficult stuff that he went through, it's like, you want to reach through the screen and give him a hug and, you know, and, and, and just wish him all the best, you know? And, um, and also like, you know, sometimes when you see, like, you know, sometimes when you hear about the son of somebody stepping into the ring and some of that, sometimes you're, you're kind of like, oh, I don't know, you know, but with him, I, I feel, I feel genuinely, excited for him and I can see it you know I can really truly see it and I'm very excited to see where he goes and I think that you know it's cool that he's kind of finding himself too you know I feel like he's kind of finding himself and finding his own way you know through this you know because I mean you know the way he was describing you know wrestling him being a wrestler was not something that he was dreamt about you know every day in terms of when he was growing up as as a young kid and as a teenager you know I'm sure that was a very difficult thing for him but you know, he when as soon as he you know, when Steve sent him that weight belt, you know, everything, that's what sort of changed. And then I think that him becoming a wrestler and an athlete was something that was not what he had dreamt about being. And to see that now come into full circle is is surreal. But yeah, man, I, I just I, I just really hope that out of this, like, yeah, he gets kind of pushed to the moon, to be yeah. quite honest. Um Yeah.
1: And it was important for us too to like ground him and um He's so relatable. There's that story in part two where you hear about, um, you know, after his dad passed away, his mom was dating somebody who was uh, pretty abusive towards him and would ground him to his room for months and months at a time. And, you know, the way he coped with it was um, uh, living through his Nintendo GameCube and living through the worlds of his video games, you know? Yeah. And then for, that uh, person his dad or his mom was dating to take the GameCube and, like, smash it and to, like, destroy <clears throat> that. Like, there's – Evan and I, you know, we can relate to that. Like, we both, totally. like, grew up escaping, like, in our video games. And at one point, that was a piece that was suggested that we lose for for time. And Evan and I were like, both, no. no, we can't. Yeah,
2: like, I'll fucking walk.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's so important. Like, there's so many people like us who could relate – to that and you know i love when his sister says um Brittany, when she's like when brian came to her and said he was going to be a wrestler and she's like what you like you just stay in your room and play video games all the <laughs> yeah, time you're going to yeah. be a wrestler yeah, i love that i yeah i love that too and i think that will put him over like they're you know for he is that generation now that is you know becoming a wrestler and, mm-hmm. you know to see how dedicated he is to it now is uh, it's just it's so cool it's so cool to see
0: Totally. And he's a super nice guy in real life. Yeah. You know, oh, the best. Yeah. So best. We, we talked a lot about Brian. Let's talk about the other kids. Let's talk about Brittany and Danny. Uh, Jason, what can you tell us about Brittany and Danny? What was it like to meet them and interview them? Because, uh, boy, they have different personalities and you got some great sound bites out of there.
1: Yeah. Brittany is, um, you know, she's had such a hard life, um, Oof. you know, losing her mother, uh, and such a, tr- tragic way um you know that was a really difficult thing to just even to the film and even the re- re- reenactments and how to do that in like uh in a in a tasteful way but yeah her story is uh very powerful and yeah she lost both her parents and you know to see it was important for us to keep her truth in there and to show how she feels uh towards melanie you know it's it's a very um it's like when you watch it, it's like, it's, it's, it's hard to watch because, you know, she is so like, she has a lot of um, feelings towards her. Uh, Cause yeah. she blames her for the death of her, uh, her mother. So, um, but again, you know, super brave. And I'm so thankful that she was um, uh, willing to tell that story and be honest about that because that stuff is important. Um, you know, it is her truth. So, you know, very happy she did that.
2: Yeah. And yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Um, Yeah. My heart breaks, you know, I mean, it it did. I remember just when she was telling us, you know, what her life was like after her father passed and just having to live under those circumstances, you know, with two people who aren't her parents is just kind of hard to, that's just so, so sad. And I, I am, you know, but I, 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 definitely, um, super grateful for her to, to to participate in the show and Danny was awesome. You know, she's um, you can really, you can really see the likeness Uh, you know, you can really see Brian in her a lot. She has such a really cool striking look Um, and, and she was awesome too. And it was just so cool to have them all together, you know, to have, you know, to have Brian, Brittany and Danny kind of together with Linda to really show, you know, kind of that, that, that strong bond there. And, and, I think that this this episode wouldn't be half or... It, no, it wouldn't be any of it if it didn't have that that family perspective. I think this story is all about that family um, tie to this story, and yeah. I think it really elevates it into a whole nother realm. Um uh, for, for an episode of our show. So we're just grateful that everybody came together to tell this story. And I think that um, they've been waiting kind of for that opportunity to, 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 to get a lot of things off their, off their chest. Cause it is a very complicated
0: family dynamic
2: and, um, and uh, yeah, you know, just, just super grateful for all of them.
0: I want to talk about Dave Meltzer, but before I do, uh, and I'm going to throw that one to Evan, I want to ask you, Jason, I know you're a big wrestling fan like me. I was born in 81. So we're about the same age and we grew up liking the same stuff. So we were both probably flying Brian fans, but then it gets to another level with the whole loose cannon character, but you know, that's his on screen life. And then you, you sort of see the man behind the character and you learn about his family through this process and you learn that. He had problems. He had flaws. He was not a perfect person, and we sometimes, as wrestling fans, are e- are, are, are very easily able to separate sort of mm-hmm. church and state—the character and the mm-hmm. guy—and and so I mean, people are still talking about Benoit, and you know, should he or shouldn't he be in the Hall of Fame, and all of that nonsense. But it's hard for us to sort of separate that, and then you see a guy like Brian Pullman who you know, we all loved, but at the same time, there are some things that are not so easy to love. How do you reconcile that in your fandom, Jason? When, you know, I mean, there were a lot of comments I saw on Twitter that were saying, oh, well, he's partly responsible for death and oh, he's a man whore and et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of negativity about his personal life. Did it affect your Brian Pillman fandom, Jason?
1: Um, it, Honestly, it kind of like, it didn't at first, like growing up, because it just kind of felt like it was part of the gimmick in a way, for him to live a lifestyle like that seems to be part for the course for the character. It's like when we're interviewing his kids and you hear things like, you know, Danny talk about how, you know, she was born um a couple years before Brian Pillman knew that she was uh even alive or like a person, you know. And um and how she like you would just expect that like when someone I don't know a loose cannon type person character would find out that they have like a previous kid um, from another like a you know a one night stand that that's gonna be um, you know a tumultuous weird situation but to hear her say that uh, he like instantly like jumped on being part of her life and was like a good dad, you know, it's like things like that. Like I was, I was kind of surprised by it. Cause that just went against the, you know, the character that I knew. Um, but it's also like what Brian Pillman jr. Says at the end, it's like about his mom and how he's come to a better understanding about people's vices and traumas that they have gone through and how that's affected them. And, to me, in working on the show, we've seen so many aspects of people's lives and tragedy. So I've, I've grown as well to be more just accepting of people going through hard times and, and making mistakes and um, <clears throat> you know, trying to, uh, you know, make peace with them. And yeah. So I don't know.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that's one of the things I think, you know, we come across a lot making this show And that's why I always go back to like, you know, dark side of the ring is the name. But, you know, in practice, it's really the human side of the ring, you know, and nobody's perfect. There's no black or white. Like, you know, I think if you if you peel back, you know, the layers on a lot of folks, um, you're going to find complexities, you know, and I think that's where we are. That's what we're trying to examine. We want to get to the heart of who these people are without judging them or without, you know, necessarily you know uh yeah doing that it's just here's the person here's the here's what happened you know we're all humans and we the, the, this is what happens and we have flaws and we're sure we do things we regret and i'm sure you know there's certain things that break us and um there's you know yeah it's it's easy in hindsight to look back at things and to you know make different choices and i'm sure that if most of them if they had the opportunity to do it they probably would like any of us would so um i think for us it's just like you know when I look back at this, it's like, you know, even as a fan, it is just sort of um, I think I just have a, more, a deeper understanding now of Brian as a person, you know, I know whom Brian is more so it's I think, you know, I get it wrestling fandom. And I mean, look, I'm I'm look, you you're know, swagged out I'm in fan- wrestling gear. Yeah, swagged out, you know, you know, I got my stone cold metal here, you know, um, but at the same time, I think it's an oversimplification <laughs> to uh, just make it all about the fandom. Right. You know, I think I, I think you know it's like being a fan of movies or being a fan of art. You know, um, if wrestling is an art, which I think it is, it's like you're you you have to appreciate it on not just the black or white fan side. It's like now we have a deeper appreciation or a deeper understanding of this figure in wrestling, and it's like I mean, now knowing everything you know now about Brian doesn't it make it more interesting about the trajectory of the loose cannon I think so you know and and as just a as someone who likes to look into wrestling history I think it's just you know it's fascinating it doesn't necessarily have to be you know you know it come down to you know Good or bad, I think. I think, and and, and the complexity is what we're going to show, and that's definitely going to come up this later in the season as well, as we get to some of the other <laughs> people we've profiled. <laughs>
0: I, I want to talk about next week, but first, I do want to talk about Dave Meltzer. Um, oh yeah. I, I, yeah. As you guys know, I'm a big fan of Dave's work. I consider Dave a friend. I, I use his uh, Wrestling Observer newsletter for research in almost every yeah. podcast I do. I've been a a, a subscriber since I guess like '97. So I'm, I'm way deep on, on waving that Dave Meltzer flag, but Evan, it seemed like once upon a time, uh, he was not a big fan of dark side of the ring. I think I read once upon a time in the newsletter that he felt like he wasn't being included in some of your work because, uh, perhaps you and I, or, or the other folks Bruce. that I do podcasts with had colluded to, to not include yeah. him. Uh, I don't. I don't believe that was the case. It certainly wasn't from my perspective. And I was really excited yeah. to see him on this show. How did Meltzer come around to be on this show, Evan? Well, yeah, I mean,
2: <clears throat> you know, um, yeah, I mean, we, we, didn't, we, we talked about it last, last pot dark side of the pod season. Um, yeah, I, I, I was, I, I was originally blindsided by that, you know, that, you know, Br- you know, Bruce and I colluded to not have him on season two or whatever the conspiracy theory was. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, Dave and Wrestling Observer Newsletter has always been a huge resource for our show, too, you know, in, in so many ways. And we love the hell out of the experience of going to see him on season one. And uh, honestly, like, I think it just wasn't the fit we wanted for the Ben Wash show. Like I mentioned before, like it just, you know, we wanted that intimacy and didn't want to have the sort of talking head vibe on it and wanted someone outside of because that story dealt with so many difficult a crime and a crime scene, you know, like any of the outsider voices we wanted to have totally removed from people that didn't know, you know, we, we, we talked about that uh, before. And, um, uh, I think on the Owen show, we were just racing at the last minute. I thought, you know, Dave could have been a part of that show, but, um, I think this season, it's hard to deny, well, you know, Dave Dave pops up a lot in this season. And um, I, I, I'm grateful we were able to clear up that matter. And I just called him and I said, let's let's go. You know, we need you for Pillman, which I think we did. I think, you know, he is a huge part of that story, you know, um, in, in in many ways. And, and talking to Dave, Dave and I did an amazing podcast, maybe one of my favorite interviews, you know, I, I've done just because we were just rattling on about all the episodes and stuff that's actually on the Wrestling Observer uh, uh you know, Website. radio show somewhere. Yeah. 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 You can get it now. Yeah. Which is fun. But um, yeah, no, he, he he definitely pops up a lot in this season. And um, yeah, I, I think that's a really good fit, you know, for Dave. Like, I don't just want Dave to be a talking head in the show. Yeah. We don't really have talking heads in the show that often and it's not really our style like our style isn't just like you know here's a guy who knows a lot about wrestling kind of thing i mean jim Cornette does sort of fill that role but you know he he knew these guys 10, he worked with these he guys. knew these guys yeah exactly there's more of that personal thing so to, ha- to be able to like you know save dave and to use him for this i think is i mean and i remember after the interview wrapped up um and talking to him just last week he was just like yeah that was a, one of the most emotional you know experiences i've ever had and um uh yeah, I, I think it shook him and and, and it shows. I mean you, you see Dave with tears in his eyes and you know I can't I don't think there's any other wrestling doc with Dave where you're gonna see that, you know. And I think I think that's I was you know, and he yeah, great interview, you know, awesome interview. So um so yeah, anyway, just just yeah, stoked to have him on the show.
0: Jason, I want to uh put a bow on this thing and, and talk about next week, but first I gotta get your take. I'm gonna put you on the spot because <laughs> you guys have done a macho man and miss Elizabeth episode oh, yeah. uh, on dark side of the ring. And this past Sunday, uh, I felt like a and E and WWE totally butchered, uh, the macho man story and did what I called a hit job on Twitter. And it got a bunch of traction. And some people were, uh, saying that I was, uh, off base because I like dark side, but, or I love dark side, but I didn't like that. I didn't feel like, it was in the same context as the other biographies, though. I'm curious, Jason, did you have a chance to see the A&E biography? And if so, will you help me shit on it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I did see it. Um, and I did have kind of like a similar reaction. Um, it was it did feel odd compared to the other two stories yes. that they covered prior to it. I think that made it even weirder. Um, because like the first I don't know unless I'm wrong I remember the that Macho Man episode that felt like the first hour and 10 minutes was for the most part putting him over it was for me really interesting to see because we wanted Hulk Hogan to be in our episode right. to tell that to tell the same story that he tells and and that story instead we got Linda Pillman uh not Linda, 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 Linda Hogan uh, Linda Hogan who is great and I wish
2: uh, we got Linda Pillman to tell that story
1: yeah oh my god <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah it was weird um you know even for our episode like I was interested in interviewing gorgeous George um for her perspective because I do think it is a you know a, very, a valid perspective um it's just weird how they presented it it just kind of at the end it just came out of nowhere but um to hear that story about um you know and I read about it, her talking about it before about discovering that there were cameras in her house and that Randy had, like, a secret room in his home but uh, where there was monitors so that he could watch her. But I do remember when we were with with Lanny, Lanny said that that was the same with um, uh, Randy's house, that he had cameras all over it and monitors. And if we were to go there for when we were filming the show, that we would still be, like, caught on camera. Um, So, yeah. Um, Yeah, it's a – It's a, it's a, yeah, like it just, and then it just totally, like in the end, it didn't offer anything like after kind of giving that, that perspective I felt. Um, So I don't know. It did to me out of all of them feel like they were trying to, I don't know if there was like a last minute note where they were like trying to make it more controversial or something, but I felt like just like in totality with the other two episodes and that one, it was, it was weird.
2: I, I just I haven't seen it yet. To be perfectly honest, it's a
1: piece um, of shit. I, I, There's a
0: spoiler. It's a piece of shit. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I want, I'm curious to, to well, see. Yeah,
1: Conrad, like, <clears throat> what, what, what's your opinion? Well, now here's oh. the
0: thing. Since then, it's come out that you know, uh, well, it was all every episode was done by different folks. Okay, I get that, but still, was that's there, my point? Was there not something like there needed to be some continuity? And I, I had a conversation with Bischoff about this, and I thought, man, I just don't see that Vince McMahon would green like this. And, and he said, oh, if it's on TV, he approved it. And I get that in theory. But is there really enough time in the freaking day to watch everything that so. comes out? I don't I don't think that's real or wrong. Right I don't think so. But, but here's the no. thing that I struggle with. We're, we're crapping on the guy, and we're talking about steroids and ecstasy and all this other stuff. And by the way, if this was the dark side of the ring, then that's game on. That's what we're talking about, the dark side of the ring. But after these other sort of puff pieces of look at our great history and our great legacy and look at what great men they were okay they had some flaws but man what an impression they made i I left this one thinking they just don't you know this is mean spirited and i almost felt like okay they're just looking for the dirt and i almost wonder if the folks who were really responsible for putting it together weren't dark side fans and thought hey i want to do my best dark side impression but to your point, Evan, they also included a lot of talking heads. And I want to be clear. I consider Dan Soder and Pete Rosenberg friends. I really like those guys. Like if they're ever in yeah. Huntsville, they're going to come over to the house. We're going to hang out. But what are they doing on the show? Why is Bubba the love sponge on the show? He's commenting yeah. on stuff that happened in the WWF. He didn't know Randy, like the whole thing's a piece of shit. And, and, I, and, mm-hmm. and, and they're trying to rip off dark side and, I don't even want to watch the future ones because I have a feeling their ultimate warrior episode is not going to be what we just saw on watch them And you guys oh are doing an ultimate warrior episode this year. So we'll compare oh notes. I'm just planting my flag firmly. Fuck that show. I'm a dark side guy. Uh, pick a lane. <laughs> and, and here's the thing that bothered me the most. I mean, within 12 hours of seeing that piece of shit, I get online on social media and they're WWE's delivering me Facebook ads to get me to sign up for a Macho Man credit card. And it's like, h- how do you reconcile that? Well, Whoa. we're going we're to trash the guy, but at the same time, I'll oh, get your Macho Man credit card. And it's way out. Macho Man I, credit card? Buddy, it's next to a Becky Lynch credit card. So it's like, uh, wait a minute, what? How is this yeah. a thing? I, I I don't get it. I didn't like it. I know a lot of other people didn't like it, but when I say that online, people get pissed off. So send me your hate tweets. Hey, hey, hey it's Conrad. <laughs> I, 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 I think well, it sucked.
2: Well, I, I'm definitely interested to watch it. I, I think if we do get around to doing the uh, Dark Side season one, you know, if we, if we get to go back to talk about our season one episodes, there is a lot of, I, I want to say about our Randy Savage episode. And, um, you know, because I mean, that was, you know, one of the first ones we made. Um, and it'd be interesting to then for me to see this one and to talk about, you know, because that was a challenging episode for us to make in many ways. Um, Way. But, um, Lanny, talk about a someone who's going to work you to, to the grave. Um,
0: you know. Well, you know what? Let's do this. Uh, now, I don't. I don't know that I'm betraying any confidences, and if I am, I'll clip it out. But we're not getting every single episode of Dark Side back to back to back. There is going to be a break in between, right?
2: Oh yeah, no, yeah, there is. No, no, you're, you're right. So you don't have to if, clip
0: it. So if there is a break in between, we could go back and mm-hmm. revisit season one, and that'll give us yeah. another opportunity to dunk on A and E together.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, I can't dunk on a and E. I'm going to. Um, and and okay, by the way, can. I'm in that um, Hidden Treasure show later this season. So they're okay. probably going to be mad. But clip <laughs> me out. I don't yeah, care. I'm, that show sucked. Uh, I've
1: been watching that one. I, I like it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, if you liked work yeah. shoots, it's it's for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> work <laughs> shoots. Evan, we're running out of time. Let's let's tease up what's coming next week. It's a, it's a subject that I'm excited about because I like the guy. I like the story. What's coming next week?
2: All right. Next week, Jason and I are extremely excited to uh, drop the Nick Gage episode of Dark Side of the Ring. For those who don't know, Nick Gage is the king of the deathmatch. He's the king of this shit. Uh, he's the king of the deathmatch world. He is definitely the most contemporary story we've ever covered. It is a neat, when The first time I saw a cut of this episode, <clears throat> it gave me... Is anxiety PTSD. Uh, I was pretty much watching a fucking snuff film uh, the first time I watched the cut of this episode and uh, standards and practices had to step in and you know strip out some of the horror show of this underground deathmatch world which was very new to me but the story of Nick Gage is absolutely compelling. It fits right in alongside all the other stories that we're telling. Um, He's a fascinating character but for us it's very it's, it's, it's a different style episode because we're really getting a snapshot of a wrestler right now that's currently actively working and the story's not done yet. This is just capturing one, um, obviously his past, but up until this very moment. And it's kind of, you know, the future is in his hands kind of vibes. Um, it is a wild, fascinating story. Bank robberies, jail time, you know, you know almost you know, slicing an aorta of David Arquette. It's, it's, it's wild.
1: He's like, yeah. he says he's willing to die for wrestling. And there was a point, which you'll see in the episode where he did die. um, Like after a match at tournament, a death match, he bled out to the point where they uh, took him to the hospital on a helicopter. And he, like, he was per- like, he was, he flatlined on the way there. Like he was dead for several minutes and they were able to bring him back, back to life. So, A guy who has that sort of mentality going into wrestling uh, is—it's like scary to watch. It adds this whole other layer of intensity and stakes that you go to see a guy like this perform. You don't know what you're going to see. You may see someone die in the ring, which is uh, is really terrifying to think of. But you know, there's people who appreciate. You know that level of dedication that he brings to it and he is such a character one of my favorite characters that we've um, we dove into on the show and it's um yeah i'm excited for people to see to see it and get to see this other you know another side of nick gage because I, I do find him you know he's an intense performer yes. but i do find him to be a lovable personality good dude of, totally yeah That's
2: good a- dude but total, yeah, he's like the scary kind of Gigi Allen of
0: of the Deathmatch Underworld. So yeah, look out, Evan. Since you said you know you were this was like watching a snuff film and you weren't familiar <laughs> with it and you were grossed out. How did you become interested in the story of Nick Gate? i I'm just curious how that even if it's not something you were regularly watching, how did you know to to, to think well Nick Gage could be a good story? I think
2: well, obviously I was like. When when the David Arquette thing happened, like like many uh, uh, of you know traditional wrestling fans were like, "Huh, what's this? Who's this?" And I and I and I remember just sort of hearing the stories of like, you know, the the bank robbery and everything else. And uh, we actually saw him perform. I do remember that too. We saw him at uh, in New Orleans. They did the GCW Joey Janela show yeah. there, and I remember actually seeing him and being like, "Whoa, this dude's over. Yeah, like this guy's way over. Yeah, like what's going? On? Who is this guy?" And I remember kind of looking into it and like. Being like, whoa, this is crazy. And then when we asked people again, what stories you want to do? And I remember it was on your list, Conrad. It was on Conrad's list for sure, was Nick Gage. Um, and then, yeah, just when we started looking into it, it was like, I remember right at the dawn of season three. Yes. Like everything was like, this is an episode of this show. It fits all the checks, all the boxes of the blurred lines, you know, who, who, where does the character stop and the person start? And, and then the exciting part of it is, is that the story's not really over, you know, yeah. it's just, it's still, it's still going, there could you know, be and another, again, yeah. Yeah. Could, could be telling be a, another part. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. I was going to say there could be another episode on him in a future season. Who knows? Like, yeah. It's just, well, like I also said, hope not just, too it's it's uh, yes i hope not
0: too yeah i hope it's puppy dogs and sunshine forever yeah (laughs) Yeah. that doesn't really fit on brand with dark side but we hope you guys have had fun today we have had a blast talking to you evan tell everybody all the handles where they can find you on social and just participate in the conversation for the nick gage episode next week
2: yeah um you can follow me at um i'm gonna fucking walk on twitter um no uh you can follow me at evan husney on twitter uh, Jason Eisner's at Jason Eisner on Twitter and Instagram, um, and Dark Side of Ring on Twitter, and Dark Side of the Ring on Instagram. Yeah, and keep uh, keep up to date with dropping deleted scenes. We're gonna be—I actually got to post some cool shit today. I'm gonna post some behind the scenes stuff for Brian Pillman later today, so check that out. Um, yeah, we got some cool stuff happening here, and uh, man, I cannot wait to talk more with you, Conrad, about holy shit, Ultimate Warrior. That's gonna be controversial day. For wrestling and everything else, man. This is going to be wild just to keep this show rolling. So, th- thanks to you for for doing yeah. this again with us.
0: Thank you, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. And don't forget, everybody, tune in to Vice this coming Thursday. It's all about Nick Gage and who could forget those goofy Stone Cold albums? We'll see you next week right here on Dark Side of the Podcast. Ninety-one thousand dollars. Ninety-one thousand dollars. That's how much Michael in North Carolina saved at SaveWithConrad.com. He left us a five star review that said, I've had many bad experiences with buying and refinancing, but my experience with First Family was first class, easy, and overall a great experience. Derek and Jennifer are awesome. To be honest, I was skeptical that this process was going too smooth and anxiety levels rose waiting for something bad to happen. But we closed and I slept like a baby. It was nuts. Derek and the crew saved me $91,000 off the life of my new loan and cut my interest rate by almost half. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. First family mortgage. No, thank you, Michael. Thanks for listening to the podcast and thanks for letting us save your family. 91,000 bucks. Now that's his number 91 grand. What's your number? You see, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It's a matter of how much. If you can hear my voice and you have a 30-year loan, a second mortgage, or a credit card debt, I guarantee I can save you cash. Find out how much right now for free. This is no cost, no obligation, and if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. And at SaveWithConrad.com, you're not being rerouted overseas. You're talking to me and my family at First Family. It's SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payment for two months? How's that for a summer break from house payments? No payments in June or July. You're done until August 1st at SaveWithConrad.com.